Score, the podcast. The only show taking you inside the studios of the world's most celebrated composers and musicians. From Santa Monica this week inside Remote Control Productions, this is Score the Podcast. I'm your host, Kenny Holmes, with Robert Kraft, my hey, co-host. Kenny. Robert, thanks uh, thanks for showing up today. You know, it was a, it was a toss-up whether I should be on our own podcast or not, <laughs> but I thought, yeah, I'll fall by. And our executive producer, Matt Schrader, on the board. Oh, this is Mash. amazing. That was, that was the Robert Kraft. That's but, right. Uh, Big this, show today. This is a, a big show, and a, it's jam-packed, and it's a special show. It's our season finale. Yeah. And, um, we what have a season, our 20th episode. 20th yeah, episode. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> was that, is that a little hay tour in there? I'm trying to yeah. do hay tour. Yeah, man. There it is. <laughs> We've come a long way. I remember sitting in John Debney's God, studio saying, so hey, we have this idea, and John was nice enough to join us for episode one. Yep. And here we are, episode 20, with our guest, if you choose to accept him, Grammy Award-winning composer yeah. of Mission Impossible Fallout, which is just killing that it. That little applause in here again. Lauren Balf, uh, you know him from, of course, Mission Impossible. Also, uh, The Crown, Pacific Rim Uprising, Sherlock Holmes, A Game of Shadows, and uh, many more. Uh, Assassin's Creed. His work Huge. with Hans Zimmer as Video well on too. Dunkirk. And- yeah. A lot, um, of, a lot and of big genius. Stuff. A uh, we a show that he did last year, and you know, um, several TV shows actually that have fantastic yeah. scores that he's worked and on. And he just got in from the UK, and he's leaving in a little while. So uh, he was nice enough to squeeze us in, and and we are squeezed in here in his studio. Yeah. Uh, so on today's show, we have Lauren Balf. We're going to get to our Emmy Awards picks now mm-hmm. that the. Uh, Nominations we promised are out. that a few weeks ago. Yep, and that's coming up in just a couple weeks. And we're also going to do a little, little reminiscing uh, and talk about our what we learned, our favorite moments from season one. We're going to get to that, and then another chance for our audience to win a fabulous prize with the game that's sweeping social media. Name that score. What's the yeah. topic today, Matt? Spy and secret agent movies. Spy and Secret Agent they movies. They have a certain kind of sound. It ties into a little bit of the Mission Impossible stuff. That might stuff. be hard, because it's gonna. they're all going to feel kind of jazzy and upbeat. Well, and we have a thing, too. We've we've tallied the scores from the season so far. So through 19 episodes, Robert has 84 correct answers. Kenny has 86 correct answers. And our composer guests, 90 correct answers. So oh, you, man. you may not uh, catch up with them in this one. It'll be tough. But you could. Do you, know that ex- right. Do you know that Wrong. expression? Bottom of the ninth. That's yep. what I'm feeling. Right? Uh-oh. Bass is <laughs> juiced. Right. <laughs> I wish we had an organ. We could, oh, well, we could probably play one over. Um, I do want to say a quick thing, too, and uh, uh-huh. a thank you to Dr. Sulan Tan, who has made Fantastic. such a great impact on this season and just brought so many cool, insightful things to talk about. And I know We that- talked about that at the start of the season, too. We, I think we started maybe on episode five with, with some of the, the inside track episodes. Yeah. And they're fascinating. You know, a couple minutes long, maybe three, four, five minutes sometimes, um, but interesting little things. And we've really enjoyed I know, Kenny, you've, you've put a lot of those together. And, yeah, and worked I listened with her. to worked Ocean with Depths last night and just amazing stuff. Yeah, really, really, really cool stuff that like sometimes you may think like, oh, yeah, but 
to have somebody who's really done a lot of research and and explaining these things to you kind of in layman's terms. And let us know, too, on uh, at Score the Podcast on Twitter. One thing we're throwing around during the off season is maybe doing a couple calls, a couple conversations long form with her about some of her studies. Yeah, or maybe um, a because she's a right at the heart of all of bonus these episode or something. Mm-hmm. This music kind um, of discovery. And thing. I also want to thank uh, Mallory Hoff, who did our our voice work for the show. There you the go. The you heard her at the very start. Yes. Um, so let's get to it. Um, well, one thing that came up um, just earlier today, this morning, actually, Robert, you told a story and I thought, I can't believe he hasn't shared that on the podcast. You re- So there's this famous stage where, I don't know, 40% of big film scores are recorded, maybe, maybe not that much, but a huge chunk of them at Fox, the Alfred Newman scoring stage, right? Uh, Correct. When you came into Fox... What year was that? 94. You were tasked with renovating that room? Actually, I wish that was the case. Uh, That's an interesting way to put it. I came into Fox in 94, and stage one, which was built as a soundstage for shooting movies. Uh I mean, this is Fox's 1925-26. In 27, sound comes in. Warner Brothers Studios and Fox Studios started to experiment with taking silent movies and attaching sound to them. Mm -hmm. And Fox was actually the first, even though Warner Brothers came out with the jazz singer as the first talkie, Fox had actually made the first sound movie and they made it on stage one where they had an orchestra play and there was dialogue. They just didn't get it out before Warner Brothers released the jazz singer. But stage one then evolved into the scoring stage because it was a huge cavernous room and they started to put microphones in there and record the orchestra in there and it kept evolving. So there was... And famously Alfred Newman. And Alfred Newman, you know, they're even incredible home movies and online you can see movies of Alfred Newman on the original stage. When I got the Fox in 94, what they had done is taken this huge cavernous room and actually built out into the room a little control booth which was really odd it was like walking into a big room and a trailer had almost been put in the middle of one wall Hmm. with a console in it and all the electrical inputs were coming into it it was kind of a little uh, jerry-rigged, you know? Yep. So what I was told, first of all, I had an old console in it, and there was some people were very particular. Oh, you know, the greatest scores in the world were recorded here, and a lot of them were. Sound of Music and Elvis Presley and Shirley Temple and incredible stuff was recorded. Yeah, history. But when I got there, there was even a little whisper of, do we really need a scoring stage on this lot? Maybe this would be better as office space. And I had this moment of, I'm sorry, this is one of the classic recording spaces in the world, truly. I mean, there's Sony, Fox, Abbey Road, Air, yep, and, uh, you know, there are a couple others. So, very fortunately, in 96, maybe a year later, two years later, there was a little moment of, we need to refresh the lot, We need to build some more post-production facilities. We need to actually improve some of the lot. And I pushed to get a budget at least approved 
to refresh the scoring studio. And what ended up happening was, thankfully, it was a moment where everybody was feeling this was important. And that little funky, uh, I don't know what even to call it, that enclosure on the lot, which had this old Harrison console, completely knocked out literally removed completely and the wall at the end of the studio as we now know a huge glass was put in it and another control room was put in yeah additional in what was a second smaller room and you can adjacent. see that in in our documentary uh yeah. score a film music documentary that's where hator is in exactly. that mm-hmm. and you can actually see in the background there's an interview going on while uh, one of our our camera guys, uh, Alex Miski, was was recording Hator, yeah. instructing all the the orchestra to to pluck with the back of their nails exactly their instruments. So it was um, it was very fortunate because I don't know if a few years later I would have gotten the budget approved. We put in a incredible state of the art uh, recording booth, separate. It restored stage one to its original volume. Yep. So the this funky thing that was built in the middle of it was taken out and one final memorable anecdote from this moment when we were thinking about that original volume and taking it out and there's a lot of as you remember and you can see in the documentary yep. a lot of pipes exposed mm-hmm. there's some kind of funky plywood on the wall and it's not particularly finished it's the way an old soundstage would have looked if you were shooting a movie on it you put, you dress it but undressed it just looks kind of like a big old old empty room yeah the question to me was were you going to improve all the walls and the ceilings and you're going to cover all the struts in the ceilings that look kind of funky and the lights that are hanging down and a trumpet player a very wonderful trump session trumpet player we were having this discussion he said you know this is my favorite room to play in in mm, LA, I the hear, acoustics of I this. hear myself better in this room than any other room in Los Angeles. So I don't know what you guys are planning to do, but my Leave suggestion it ugly. is, he said, <laughs> don't even change the dust in the room. That was <laughs> wow. what he said. And if you go into that Fox stage, yeah. on one side's a, a state-of-the-art recording booth. Fabulous. Everything. Blinking lights. All, you know, 21st century. The recording stage itself is the way it was in 1927. Well, why? I mean, the the point is the acoustics. If it's not being filmed in visually, I mean, it's it's for recording audio, and it sounds incredible. You got to do amazing. so. We what's can, best for the film, and we can largely thank. I mean, I guess I guess you could take credit for keeping keeping that stage around, keeping it at least from becoming office buildings, which it could have easily uh, easily it could have been another one of those things like on a studio tour. I think this what, used to be the place right. where Alfred Hitchcock would do everything every day, and then we made a parking lot. Right. Know? I think I can thank the fact that just a year or two before. RCA Studios in New York, the legendary RCA Studios on 44th and 6th, uh-huh. uh, where everybody recorded and it was where you went in New York, had been changed into some office buildings. Wow. An office space. So you had a reason to and say, no, thought, no, 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 let's And everybody this. was so, I can't believe they did that, that they decided it was more important to use that space yeah. for, you know, cubicles. That's cool. So, so now it's a, a, I think- Well, it was, it's not going unused- no. So it was definitely a good decision. And it yeah. was named then, af- I believe, yeah. after that. When we, well, actually, the renovation. Okay. The renovation t- changed it from being stage one yep. to the Newman scoring stage. That's right. Yep. 
Yeah. Well, That's thank interesting. You, Robert, thank you very much. I have to thank the people that budgeted and sort of snuck in there an additional whatever number it was, which I can't quite remember where we ended up, but it was expensive, but it was worthwhile. Yeah. What a story to close yeah, on. Man. Yeah. yeah, man. Yeah, man. There's a nice little uh, closing story for Fireside Chat with Robert Now, Kraft. we got a few a few notes on the season that we're going to jump into, right? Mm. Do we, uh, we have some of the I, – I know you guys both made a couple notes, and then we'll do our, our Emmy picks, our big, enormous Emmy picks after that. There we go. It's, it's epic. Um, our, uh, our picks for uh, drama series, comedy series, dramatic score – main title theme we got four different categories we're going to go through and pick nice. our winners uh that we'll, we are sure will be a hundred percent right because we won't have a show that week i'm really confident <laughs> or for a little while after you can still harass us on twitter <laughs> yes <laughs> at score the podcast <laughs> uh yeah i i thought it would be cool to kind of reflect on the first 20 episodes um maybe list off three things each of uh memorable moments of uh of season one uh my first one is uh first off a little, a little sub memory is that Ramin Javadi's name is pronounced Ramin Javadi, mm-hmm. um, which I still can't get right. It's it's hard to see when you look at it. It's and my then it's it. my Jordan Bieber but, um, of the season. Learning, Jordan Bieber, <laughs> learning that Ramin Javadi's hands are playing the piano animated in the Westworld opening. Uh-huh. I don't I don't think I like I looked online that wasn't really out there, and I I didn't have any idea. But I thought that was a really cool touch and a nice little. Ode broke to the, that news. Yeah. A, a nice little tribute to a composer to put his hands in the intro of mm-hmm. a big show like that. Yeah. Robert, Robert, what you got? I remember, I think for me when I was thinking back on it, one of the first things that came to mind was when we sat with Junkie XL, Tom Holkenberg, and he talked about his resolve to become a composer and that even at the height of his DJ and pop record career, he decided <laughs> it was important to... Yeah. Didn't he say he came to L.A.? Even after he tried in L.A. and failed, he decided he was going to yeah. come back He told that great story, floors. which is, it's on our, our YouTube channel, the video of, of his reaction, but you say, Tom, I think you came to see me when I was at Fox, and he goes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I did. And uh, that wasn't the start of his career, but it would start... Pretty soon. Well, he after had a that. huge hit out, and meanwhile, he's yeah. working for free in a basement. You're right, chasing and I, the dream. And he actually, you know, it worked out. All right, my my second one uh, was, was <laughs> uh, with John Powell when we were talking with him. <laughs> Sounds and, like five pounds of cheese. Um, during the session at Abbey Road recording solo, he released to us that he got the musicians drunk and played Vuvuzelas <laughs> for the, the score. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. yeah. I, I wonder if that was during the Olympics when they were all playing Vuvuzelas and no. they were sort of in the news, wasn't no, it? No, it was a few... Well, it could have been, actually. Well, I don't that, think so. I think more it was a month or so Olympics after thing. that. Yeah. But I, I'm sure he planned that out anyway. But yeah, it was funny him talking about... I like he how he said he had to get him drunk, him though, first. because... Yeah. Is it because there's... You don't really play him; you just kind of blow into him. <laughs> all the great players of you know of of London that are what a plastic horn. <laughs> I also speaking of Ramin, he told us that great story of how he got started. I mean, I think you're going to see a through line. My memories are always these fabulous stories of how composers their unorthodox career path. Yeah, Ramin said that he had been working. I think it was for Jeff Zanelli. And he was writing, he wasn't writing, he was doing software programming and he was making tea. I think it might have been Klaus. 
was oh I think you're right. It was mm. for I pirates, right? And and Klaus said, "Would you just mind staying a little later and maybe I don't know, take a shot at it?" And whatever he wrote, it stuck. Yeah, yeah, it stuck, and it kind of got him more gigs. And I thought, how lucky! And the he start wait- of those stories, yeah, they're cool. He waited patiently. Well, that flows right into my third one, which is uh, when we talked with Tina Guo. She created this music video with her life savings trying to become a metal rock star and Hans Zimmer comes across it on YouTube and gives her a call and and who's this cellist she didn't even know who Hans was was the funny part she's like I'm uh, I'm (laughs) sorry who (laughs) and completely changed her career path and now she's worldwide traveling around playing on all these huge soundtracks and and even talked about writing her own score now so yeah goes to show you how things can change overnight like that mm-hmm. but it was i thought that was a really cool story yeah and i think my one of my favorite moments was with harry gregson williams where um i remarked on his wonderful new studio that we were in and that i remembered his prior studio which was in venice beach and how cool it was and he said you know that studio ultimately burned me out he told us the story of how he ended up with three floors of people doing TV shows on one and movies on another, and he had all these people working for him, and he was racing between projects, and it just absolutely was too much. And ultimately, he took a year away and then came back to the beautiful and serene studio that we did yeah. our podcast from where he had two people working he with He kind of had a little, like like where we're at right now, a little remote control productions type feel yep. with, yep. with a, a big monster you know, building full of people. And, and he said work it, for some people. It just didn't work for him, and he seemed so happy and productive in his new environment, and I just love seeing that evolution. Well, it, it really was a, a fun season to do all these episodes, and if, if you aren't caught up, there are some really cool stories and conversations um, of course, all the episodes are free. You can just subscribe on Apple Podcasts and go through and check them out. Um, I think now we're going to get to, are we going to take a break? Or we, no, we're going to go right into it. We're going it. right into we it. A, all right. We're going to have a longer episode than usual, but it's our big Emmy picks. There's the uh, the, the epic, uh, <laughs> whatever that's The called, Emmys are coming Brom, up. Which was invented, I think, here at Remote Control by Hans Zimmer. Amazing. Um, just weeks away, right? It's a, The Emmys are a couple weeks away, couple yeah. Weeks, so, yeah. Um, so we're close, and we... Now we did all right on our on our our sure things for nominations. For nom- well, nominations is harder to pick than <laughs> it's a little harder to pick. Uh, for me now, now this is the real deal. So we have four categories, and what we're going to do is go through category by category. So I'll, I'll read these off to you: it's drama series, comedy series, then dramatic score for a series, and main title theme. A lot of people forget about the main title theme, mm-hmm. but that's a good one. Not me. So. <laughs> um, not Robert. <laughs> uh, so we'll start with outstanding drama series, and and the the nominees for this are The Americans, uh, final season, The Crown, Game of Thrones, The Handmaid's Tale, Robert's pick, I'm sure. I'm mm-hmm. sure I'm predicting Stranger Things, This Is Us, and Westworld. Those are the outstanding drama series. Um, Kenny, who you got as a winner for this category? Well, I'm going to go with This Is Us. Oh, the NBC show. I personally haven't watched that show, <laughs> but I can tell you the the hype around that show and everyone who does watch it, I mean, it's like religious. Yeah. People are like, oh my God. Even uh, I was out when I was covering the Olympics. You're right. Yeah. The game, and Game of Thrones doesn't have that. When right? I was, when I was, I was in South Korea covering the Olympics 
and we went to the Super Bowl watch party, <laughs> and half the people were like, this is us is on after the Super Bowl. Are you guys going to leave the TVs on? I mean, it was like, I couldn't wow. believe it. What do you think, Robert? But. I'm going to surprise you with my new contender, which is The Crown. Oh. I think it's one of the most incredibly written and filmed. It really is. I think it's And hey, just, Lauren's music, too. And Lauren's music. I think that show is so first class, so I hope it gets It's like royalty. That's it interesting. Is. Okay. It's like getting a royalty in the mail. Well, I got to say, I, I'm, I'm debating between... The Handmaid's Sale, which is great, is probably it's probably my favorite show of of uh, all spring. And the Americans, it's the final season of that. Yeah. It never really got the the attention that it deserved. It's an amazing show. So that's my sleeper. I think. I think I'm going to go with the Americans because it might be final season. They might might uh, might be sent off with a trophy. My runner up, Stranger Things. <laughs> okay. Um, what you have seen? Yes. <laughs> All right, outstanding comedy series. This one is a little bit more clear cut, I think. Atlanta, Barry, Blackish, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Glow, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Silicon Valley, and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Kenny. Atlanta, hands down. Robert. I think it will be Atlanta, but I actually just finished the first season of Mrs. Maisel, which I wasn't aware was so wonderful and well done. Uh, yeah, it's gotten a lot of attention for for Amazon. This is a tough category, though. Yeah, and and that that's my pick for this too. I, I was thinking Amazon uh, uh, Atlanta was was going to be the clear winner, and I think that's the obvious one. Yeah, but uh, marvelous Mrs. Maisel has really uh, really come on strong. I, so. I didn't know a thing about it. It was recommended to me. I thought, well, I'll see the first episode, and I think over two nights a, I watched uh, the entire season. Barry Barry and Curb HBO was strong this year. Though, oh yeah, too. So I, th- that's that's for me the hardest category to pick from. Uh, dramatic score for a series: Game of Thrones, Ramin Javadi. I said it right that time. Yeah, Marvel's Jessica Jones, Sean Caller. We talked to him a couple weeks ago. Once Upon a Time, Mark Isham, Cindy O'Connor, and Michael D. Simon. Star Wars Rebels, Kevin Kiner, and uh, Westworld. Oh, sorry, Seal Team, uh, WG Snuffy, Walden, and Patrick Rose. Um, and Westworld, Ramin Javadi. I'm gonna go with as hard as it is to pick from this category um westworld it wasn't my favorite show of the year this season but the music was so incredible for me and i the the way they orchestrate those songs and then the original music on top of it i just that that's my pick what do you think robert i'm gonna go with a complete dark horse oh once upon a time mark isham it was the last episode 156 that was nominated and uh, they might recognize Mark for all his great work with that award. I don't see any way around. There's there's who I think should win, and there's who I think will win. And since we're doing will win, I think the answer is going to be Game of Thrones again this year. Uh, it just it's just <laughs> it's just You're it's just the right. champ. So yeah. uh, that's what I'll go with. Last category we have main title theme, uh, Godless on Netflix. Uh, Carlos Rafael Rivera. Uh, the Last Tycoon, Michael Dana, The Defenders, John Paisano, The Putin Interviews, Jeff Beal, Somebody Feed Phil. This was a strange, kind of strange uh, nominee for this. Mike S. Olson, Bridget Ellen Kearney, Michael Calabresi, and uh, Rachel Price, and The Tick on uh, Amazon Prime Video, Chris Bacon. I'm going with The Putin Interviews. I thought the use of orchestra, choir, and synths all kind of mixed together. I just... 
It stands out to me. I, I, go ahead, Robert. Please, you go. Uh, I was going to say, I'm jumping the gun a little bit, The Last Tycoon was uh, a really cool uh, opening title. It's interesting all these shows have kind of a, a consistent opening title um, that I think will be very much of the era when you look back. It's a lot of these Game of Thrones-style super close-ups on kind of abstract things. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's interesting looking, but it's going to be like the old 80s sitcoms that had people turning and smiling at the camera, you know, and that kind of a thing. Um but and I think this is guilty of that a little bit. A lot of these shows are uh, using that kind of format that's popular right now. But the last tycoon, really creative, looks cool, sounds great. So that's my pick. I'm going again with the long of long shots, but it's a composer who is due for his first award in this universe, and it's Chris Bacon for the tick. Mm. Yeah, that's a fun one. Yeah. So Chris is a great composer who's coming. He's really kind of the next one up, and I'd like to see him get acknowledged. I wouldn't wouldn't mind seeing Michael Dana get closer to that EGOT, though. Oh, wouldn't that be great? (laughs) Well, that's my pick. So if he gets it, it would be good. It would be good. Um, I think we're going to take a break now. Yeah, we'll take a break. We'll hear a little something from Robert, right? Uh, Reminding us to uh, check out all of our uh, social media stuff. Right on. (laughs) Right on. And then we'll be right back. Coming back, yeah, we're going to invite in Grammy Award-winning composer, Lauren Bow. Super exciting. And Scotsman, Lauren Bow. Yeah. Scotsman. Yeah. We'll be right back. Hey, guys, Robert Kraft, and I'm inviting you to check us out on Twitter for the latest from the show, giveaways for Name That Score, videos, maybe even a new track from that pop superstar, Jordan Bieber. Check out our handle on Twitter, at ScoreThePodcast. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Remote Control Productions. We're here with Grammy Award-winning composer and... uh, He's on a on a big high right now with this huge, oh, huge man. film, huge uh, Mission Impossible Fallout, the composer extraordinaire for that film, and many other huge projects. Lauren Bow, thanks for having us, Lauren. I love the applause. Thank you. That's <laughs> just for you. Also, I, being on a high, I've got jet lag, so I don't do not feel like thirty thousand foot high. I love that jet lag is Whoa. kind of inspiring. Yeah. For naps. (laughs) Ten years ago it was. You know, I learned something very important today uh, coming into your studio, which is what the flag is outside. Mm -hmm. And I never realized that, I don't think I was clear, Balf is Scottish. Okay. The new... (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I don't know. I don't think Balf is. Okay. I I am. Okay, good. I think (laughs) Balf is, I think, I think it's French-Irish. Could be. Fryrish, Fryrish. That. yeah. Meaning you are born in Glasgow, Edinburgh. Ooh, no, no. I'm a Highlander. Ah, shoot. Mm. Uh, Inverness. Nice. There's actually a scene in one of the shows that we're going to talk about, The Crown, where the Queen Mother, oh, yeah, goes to the is uh, it uh, Balmore? Well, they go. There's a few. They go up to Gordonston. Correct. Yeah. Where I think Charles went to school and Philip went to school. I think. I think I, I nearly went there also. Oh wow! I think I yeah. And nearly went to school there for you know in America we have public and, pr- and we have private yeah. and public and they're the exact opposite. Yeah. So when you said you nearly went to school, <laughs> no, meaning- no, I nearly went there. Oh, it's just a long story. It's not. <laughs> it's not um, I think. I think. Um, Who was your first grade teacher? <laughs> <laughs> no, I uh, no. I went to school in Edinburgh. Oh, beautiful. But. Um, that's great. Well, let's get, let's get to Mission I was Impossible. Say, yeah, yeah. Um, 
First things, you know, <laughs> the second stuff, the the huge blockbuster film. You jumped into this legacy of of Mission Impossible, um, going back to the TV show. First off, did you watch the TV show growing up? Um, no, I, I think I watched it as in my thirties. Mm. Um, okay. But the films, you know, when that the first one came out, I was at college, and I loved it. I, you yeah. know, and then, yeah, I was a fanboy. And uh, so it was. It was amazing to be part, invited into that family. Is for you personally, but also for the for the franchise. What what was the pressure like for you to make sure that you delivered on something, you know that that has that past? I'm sorry, and that list of composers yeah. prior to you, Hans, yeah. Danny, Giacchino. It, it's it. You know the weird thing is that you. Every project, I get. F- very fearful <laughs> you start i start off so i think that um the kind of the fact of how big this was <laughs> went very quickly <laughs> it, then you just kind of then firstly it was lovely starting off a film where there was a, already a great theme yeah <laughs> you weren't sitting there for countless nights trying to write something so <laughs> so that was uh that was great no i think i think the later I was on it for a long time, eight months, eight, wow. nine, eight nine months. Um, and I think that probably throughout the whole, the whole those months I was, um, you, you're very aware of what the fans are going to think that are fans of Mission Impossible. You know, there's that legacy and there's being loyal to... And it's going to be, oh, that's not as good as the last one or yeah. I like this better than four but not as good as three yeah. or that kind of thing well i think also it's just the fact of using famous themes and how fans relate to them uh, I, I i think that that to me was kind of you know you want to be loyal because there's there's i think like on i did terminator genesis and with that um you know we you have such a memorable theme which had been forgotten about and and hmm. most of them people yeah. would just do it for the opening and then move on um but I, I, I always want to try to kind of keep the themes. That they're great themes, and it's what we associate with those characters. Yes. So um, I'm going to try to write a new one. It's Why? interesting that, well, that you brought up about the theme that already exists. Mm. Is that something that makes – is it time-saving? Can you start working on the, the, the rest of the movie? Because, you, you know, yeah. developing a theme is something that sometimes people spend a lot of time on. If you yeah. don't have to worry about that, is that – or, or is there more pressure to make everything else notable because you have an existing theme that that people already know? I think it. I think it's it's yes, you've got the theme, but then what do you do with it? So th- that's the thing. And you I, actually did something very cool with it. There's a there's one cue. It might, I think the cue is called fall. Just one. It's the main. It's cue. just one cue <laughs> where you. It's almost forgive me. It's cubist. You show a little piece. You don't give it all away. Oh yeah. Well, that that that's that's. But it's coming right here. It's coming right now. <laughs> and then the actual theme takes place in a new key. I want to know why eight months. And you know, was that a filmmaking? Because I'm very slow. Or was it? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, I mean, were there? Was it because the film was changing? No, it was, you know, every single, the majority of films I work on, 
I get the call maybe about two months before. Of course. As you know, it's just last minute a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but with this, I think um, Chris never uses temp music. Oh, wow. That's it. This so, is Christopher McQuarrie. Uh, yeah. Director. And he, he, he just, he, he, it's a blank canvas. So he wanted, he wanted the, the music to start whilst they were filming. Um, were you delivering temp music to the set? Uh-huh. Incredible. Yeah. And, um, and uh, we started off having breakfast meetings. Hmm. And, um, and the more he talked about this movie, I kind of, I thought, I thought, gosh, there's no way I can describe how, how do we reinvent this piece of music? Um, so I just thought, I'll do it. So hmm. I went away for a week and I wrote like an hour of music that I thought was, it was kind of like a, a letter to him of, mm. this is what you've been talking about, um, this is Ethan's new new journey, mm. and this is what you could do as the theme. And um, so that's how we started. Um, but we we created our own temp, and that, and that was the luxury. And also, my writing room was next door to his edit room. Oh, that's perfect. So I loved it. Where was that, in the UK? In, yeah, in London. Yeah. What was it like working with Tom Cruise, who's known to be very hands-on in this franchise, and, and a lot of movies, but especially this one? Um, was that different for you? Was that a different process? Well, uh, the fact is is that you have to keep, you have to kind of, it's hard to forget that you're talking to Tom Cruise. <laughs> you know, I, the biggest movie star I, I, I in the Lauren, world. Uh, Tom Cruise is here to see you. He'd like to listen to every cue. <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of, but, but the fact is he, he is the producer. Yes. And, and he is, he, he is Ethan Hunt. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, so he knows, he knows that theme better than anybody. You know, he's, he lives and breathes it. So, yeah. um, I, yeah, I still think it's, you know, you're you're talking about music cues, and then the back of your head is it's Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> I watched him in college, and I liked this movie. Now, was he at most of those those meetings that you had with Chris and about about the music, or was it occasional? When, when he came, it was especially a big kind of meeting. Uh, well, the thing is that we we were kind of we had music meetings nearly every day, really. Mm-hmm. So. Um, but I think no. Tom got involved. Well, he involved right from the beginning when the first time he heard um, uh, the music that I, I kind of I, I gave to them right. as a suggestion. So that's that's how I started the journey. So when you gave that music to Chris and that that first suite, um, it sounds like you didn't get a phone call that said. Lauren, good news, bad news. <laughs> good news is it's supposed to be sunny in London. <laughs> it sounds like they liked it. Yeah, uh, it, thankfully, yeah. Yeah, that's great. And I think, I think you know, this was, this was, and is the biggest movie I've ever done. And will, of course, I imagine. You know, the fantasy is in Hollywood, and we've all been through this to a certain degree. Boy, your phone must be ringing off the hook. Uh, the minute the movie came out, et cetera. And both, I'm sure it is, and it's also fairly remarkable how this becomes just another part of your journey on the career of becoming, you know, the, a certain level of composer, and then you have a certain kind of blockbuster that mm. includes your name in the next wave of blockbusters. But All uh, oh, oh, the wave. Well, I guess that can happen. <laughs> but, no, this everything about this film was so wonderfully 
received, successful, acknowledged. You said something earlier that I find interesting, which is you said there's a fan base, all the fanboys out there who have a certain expectation. How do you keep that noise away from you while you're writing? How the you haters. Not, the yeah, haters. Both the haters and just, just there's a kind of phantom audience. It's one of the hardest things about what you do yeah. is... Especially nowadays with the access everyone has yeah. to you. At Lauren Balfe. Do you read stuff? <laughs> do you, right, at LaurenBalfe.com. Um, do you read things or do you just ignore it? Uh, I, um, I, I'm now learning to just not to try. I, I, look, the fact is at least people are talking about it. Oh, that's good. Um, but I think that um, I got it. I got it bad when I when I was starting off doing computer games because there that you know gamers live music more and than live online film music. Too. You know they just constantly hear it, um, and that was kind of a hard crowd. Um, but I think that I, I don't. I feel that um, everybody's got an opinion, and they know um, it, you know what they say about opinions. I can't say that in a PG-13, but everybody has one. Let's just yeah. say that. But I think that it's, um, I don't know. I, I, I can't say that I would ever criticize. I, 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 I like all music. I'm not a fan of jazz, but I'm not going to go out of my way to say it's ruined my life. <laughs> like some, some <laughs> That's what, music fans will say. Born Bell score to Mission Impossible ruined my yeah. life. No, I, I think I think it's I'll Lord, never be the same. Norm Balfe is the Chuck Norris of film music. Oh, jeez, that's, that's the, cool. I like Chuck Norris. I like Chuck that's Norris. what you should write back. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. So, so I think it is. It is. Um, it 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 does hurt. Always because you don't you. I think that people. Somebody somebody said to me once. Um, you treat you treat it like. It's just a job, hmm. and and I th- and the weird thing is that it it, it is a job. Weirdly mm-hmm. enough, we're all doing jobs, um, but you you invest so much into it, yeah. like twenty hours a day. You sacrifice. Uh, it's not to sound over the top, but relationships. You stop getting invited to parties in life, including your children's parties. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, and it's just you, you know you. you it's a, it's very unlike other jobs. Yeah. You you don't um, get out much. Um you kind of well, you know, this has been my this room has been my home for like 12 years mm-hmm. and yeah, I've spent more time in here than in my own home. And to think that of all the incredible work that's gone on in this room, somebody sitting somewhere in a dark room with a computer can just tweet something nasty. <laughs> you know, just for for grins, you mentioned the computer games, and uh, I mean, I know you won a BAFTA for Assassin's Creed. Yeah. Did you do computer games prior to doing narrative cinema or or uh, no. TV? So you no. so you first did TV and film, but, yeah. and then had to switch gears. Well, I think the f- the first move uh, such a cool theme. First game was Call of Duty. Huge. I did that with hands. Yeah, that was that was kind of uh, it was an eye opener when you know when it came out it made like five hundred million in three days or something and it's like what movies don't get that yes. yeah crazy um, numbers yeah and I thought um, so I did that and then quite a, f- a few other games I haven't done many games recently because I haven't I haven't seen I haven't been offered any ones that I've liked oh. uh, it's because yeah. 
That's, I often that's... wondered about that. If you're scoring a game, do you end up sort of calling them saying, I'm going to be late because I'm deeply involved in, <laughs> in, uh, well, in playing it? I, I lost two days of my life when, um, I, when I did Assassin's Creed because I decided to play and, and that, I, I couldn't leave the house. <laughs> it's interesting that you talked about how the the gamers are immersed in the music because mm. it never stops. Yeah, and they, it's it's. I mean, they have so much time to sit there and just soak it all in. Versus a film where you get through a cue and the next scene comes on and yeah. it's silent or there's just dialogue. Um, when you approach a video game, what's the what's the difference there? I mean, you have to come up with something that doesn't get old. Yeah. But it, but it's playing constantly. There's there's got to be a different approach to that. I, I guess one, it's more music, probably, right? I mean, well, just the sheer quantity. Yeah, I think Call of Duty was something like seven hours mm. of music. It's a lot. It's a, it's a lot. Um, the eight disc soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it. I think it, it's. Um, I, I never look at it any different than a movie. I think as soon as you start looking at TV or movies or. Um, games as a, as a different task i think you're in trouble then and i think that I, I treat a game just like a movie the same objective you've got to tell a story um so it's the same it's the same it's the same task and i think that i like games where there is a story nice. you know, i I'm, I'm not particularly kind of interested if it's just about people running around shooting they've they've become so cinematic too there's oh, a lot of movie moments. shocking <laughs> it's truly it's truly just amazing now the state of games yeah. and also the things there used to be a snobbiness i you know i remember i remember like 15 years ago going to um going to an ascap awards i wasn't winning anything but i went because <laughs> it was a it was a free meal um, and um and I, rem- I remember somebody saying pointing out who people were in the room and they said they said oh he does tv and that one does he does games and, and and it really was put down it's so flipped now it's amazing he does tv <gasps> can i meet him <laughs> and he does games and you're absolutely right yeah. that the games revenue yeah. so swamps yeah the film revenue and and and, and it's so huge and i or you know I, i'm trying to think of who composer wise hasn't done a game now the majority, yeah, the majority, tough to... the majority have. Well, I met a number of composers that are now, like yourself, huge film composers. Michael Giacchino was introduced to me as a video game composer. Um, he had done um, War, yeah, World uh, of Warcraft. Or... No, no, it was Metal, Metal Thank Gear you. Solid. No metal, 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 metal of honor, honor. Metal, metal of honor. And I listened to it and thought that's great. Jesper Kid, mm-hmm. who I believe you worked with mm-hmm. on which one? Uh, the second one. Yeah, the second it, one. Assassin's Creed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jesper Kid actually wanted to work on Hitman the movie because right. I believe he did Hitman. Yes, video he did game. video. Yeah. And our close personal friend of all of ours, Jeff Zanelli, snagged the gig. Jeff. Which yeah, <laughs> which was I think good for Jeff and yeah. unfortunate for Jesper. With the co- the director really loved Jeff's. Approach. Can I? I, have, I had a question. I came across something just when we were digging into some some uh, some retros before this. That on on this last, I'm bringing it back to Mission Impossible. Did you at one point have twelve bongo drums? 
Yeah. In the same room? Yeah. Well, how, how, well tell, first, tell that story. First, I heard a piece of that. Yeah. Firstly, it's, it's um, uh, 11 more than you would normally find. Right. Um, and um, no, it was started off, started off with one. And um, I was recording in Air Studios in London. Massive big room. Beautiful. Um, and then, then I tried four. Then I tried eight. And just this sound just started happening um, that you hear at the beginning of the movie. Yep. Um, and it was just this... Um, the bongo to me is, is part of the ammunition from the TV show. Absolutely. And um, I thought, well, that's a colour that represents that era um, that's, right. that's manipulated a bit. Mm-hmm. So I got like 12 great drummers, not percussionists, but drummers, to play the bongos. Fantastic. And it, I think it might be a new T-shirt. You know, you see that T-shirt, more cowbell. <laughs> more bongos. More bongo. <laughs> <laughs> so for somebody who's not, I'm not a musician, what are you hearing the difference between four bongos, eight bongos? Like, how do you, how do you know, get to 12? Yeah, and how do you like, know? That's Keep the going. sound. Keep going, yeah. Well, I, it, it's, like, it's like choirs. You know, every, I, I think it's, there's a cutoff when it's of any use. You know, I think it's lovely visually to say I've got a hundred, but probably eighty is 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 effective. But any more, you're going to start getting messy. So, um, the sound, um, I just think it made it sound more tribal. Oh, that's great! And and uh, and and I recorded them playing with drumsticks and with their hands, and and throughout the whole film. Um, the the size of it changes and sometimes it's just one um and so, it, so it's this just wasn't just one cue of 12 bongos you, you no, tracked no, no. with different cues yeah. and different yeah, shapes yeah. of I, I think they're they're on nearly every cue <laughs> somehow sitting in a circle 12 uh, bongo players uh, they're everywhere on the I, beach uh, everywhere <laughs> nice but also but you know we had a big band we had i think 14 drummers also need that um and then the brass was just 12 french horns mm. 12 trombones um four trumpets two saxes two chimbas yeah it very big how do you keep the spy music current you don't treat you don't try the right spy music hmm explain um i think it because, because it then it can become a parody Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, you, we know in our head, it's like rom-com music. Uh, you know, you, there is a style now where it's wah-wah guitar and Fender Rhodes, which I don't know who created that and <laughs> said, this is what comedy music... It came music. from a porn movie, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's... it's um, you, you don't... You, I, I think you just have to forget any pre-existing styles and just go okay you know like with lalo's theme i treated it as um he had written it that day beautiful i'm gonna now work with it and arrange it in a in a in a different style instead of thinking it's got to be retro and it's got to sound nostalgic and i think that the the theme is nostalgic enough yep they don't need to kind of do it with flutes and uh, just treat it as a contemporary theme so I think I think treating it having a style I, I we kind of we didn't we didn't plan it that way. You, so when nice. we when we walked in the room, I, I was saying how you know congrats on on the success of the film, and you were saying that 
not even the filmmakers expected it to be this big. What were the expectations, and and how has that changed for you? I mean, it's been it's been a whirlwind. I don't, I, you know, everybody. The weird thing about it is that I think when you work in a film and it doesn't do well, it's strange because no nobody working on it wants it to fail. <laughs> it's a, it's just bad movies are as hard to make as good movies. Yeah, and I think that it's everybody is fully invested in in this journey. You know, directors, writers, they're on it for years. It's, you know, it's a full on experience, and I think that. Um, um, Chris, Chris does a great. He's been doing a um, uh, a podcast with Empire, mm. um, and it's just amazing. It's part one is three hours long, part two is three and a half hours long. Yeah, <laughs> some real um, depth. And, and he's and and it's just great listening if you're uh, into filmmaking. And he goes through mm. the, the whole film and the journey, and he's very detailed about the test screenings. Hmm. And how it changed um, concepts, and and it's just a fascinating. Did you attend test screenings? Yes, because that's a very interesting process for the composer, where you not only get to feel the audience and watch the audience, yeah, but that conversation in the lobby after everyone has left is oh, oh yeah, I saw you wince. <laughs> I would wince too because you have the head of the studio yeah. and the director and a couple people, and then and they're talking about this shot and this scene, and then. It kind of turns occasionally to. Can we talk about the music? You know, that's the stomachache. Yeah. Yes. Well, the yes. Those those corridor conversations are right. are always the. Um, that's the worst of it. It's, well, it's, it's fascinating though when you see people leaving. <laughs> you know, oh, I've got to go. I've, I've, I'll catch up later. Um, Do you want to explain, Lauren, for our audience, what a test screening is like and what a corridor conversation is afterwards? Because I don't think people are aware well, of that part of the filmmaking I th- yeah, process. I, I think test screenings now are more more common than ever. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, as soon as everybody's happy with the cut, mm-hmm. um, they will then take it to a cinema to a, a blind audience. Mm-hmm. Not visually, yes. Um, and um, they they don't know what they're going to see. They don't know what they're about to experience. So they they're sitting in the cinema, and somebody will come in and say, "You were the first to see," and then they say the name, and the place erupts. Right. Uh, or there's oh, I thought I was oh, coming to see yeah. Rocky. <laughs> um, so um, so then they watch it, and then everybody f- gets a questionnaire, and. It's, and an NDA, uh, an NDA, yeah, <laughs> and, and and the questions, it, it's it's a, it is amazing the focus that comes back because it's monitoring um, the gender, the age, um, all the demographic stuff. Uh, yes, yeah, to uh, to to figure out who the key audience is. Um, if you're re- uh, if the audience is relating to characters, do you like the characters? Um, would you recommend this movie? Mm-hmm. Uh, would you recommend it highly? Uh, how or, much? Or one how to ten. much? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and and then after that, they'll select a, a small focus group. Twenty. Twenty, and then really get asking questions. Did you find it slow? Did you find the pace of it uh, fast? Did you? Um, who who liked this character? Did you relate to this character? Um, I always found that focus group. So the big audience leaves the theater. Thank you very much. They've selected, pre-selected 20 random people, different ages and genders. And 
They sit in the front, and a guy comes up and gives that little speech. I'm just an independent researcher. I don't work for the studio. Oh, really? You just showed up at the theater? <laughs> um, and, he, and they ask questions, and there will be one woman will raise her hand and say, I have a question. Why did you use that song when the guy is running off the cliff? And then you find out the next day that a song has been removed from the movie. <laughs> Uh, because based one, on one, one person, right? Yeah. One person in a focus group in, you know, Riverside, California, thought I, I never liked that song, and I it ruined that scene for me. Okay, this one lady of the millions yeah. of people see it, but those focus groups can be lethal. Uh, and and then also testing st- different cuts. Sometimes yeah. they'll have a different ending and play Correct. the same film in two different theaters next to each other ne- to see what points. Uh, it, it it's it is amazing. Yeah. Um. But. It's um, it works. It does. You know, the thing is, is that you're. I think as a filmmaker, if you don't, you're, you're making it for that audience. So you've so to get feedback without it going, being released is amazing. Yeah, you're getting this opportunity to um, to see what's not working because you get so blinkered sometimes. You know, and everybody around you is saying, this is great. Staring at the same thing. Yeah, you've just made the best. Yes, man, everywhere. Oh, yeah. What music, just before we take a break, I think, what music would be in the test screen? Since you said you were writing for months prior and no temp music, but you don't obviously spend all the money on recording the score until the cut is there. What music would be in a test screening or would they test with a final score in pieces? Um or great demos. Maybe some pieces. Yeah, well with with uh, with omission we tested with 100% um school. Oh wow. And um so the the build up to every test screening there was a like a mad rush to try to make sure we were were covered. Right. And, and then also you, the, you what a luxury. You then get to sit back and go oh that doesn't work ah sure you know it, but you never must have said that because every cue worked i imagine <laughs> no <laughs> no Quite <laughs> no i i think you know pacing also i think there was a lot of um experiments where i think the, yeah the music in the helicopter changed quite a lot and not quite a lot but just fragments of it because we we're aware of just the en- energy falling and um so and then, actually, weirdly, the, the opening of the movie changed. I think um, in the first two test screenings, I had I had the the villain motif, which is just this bomb, um, was from the original plotting theme, and it's just right in the middle mm. of this theme. And, I, and it was like, gosh, how's everybody missed this? It's just a great two note motif that you can just keep using all the time. That was the original opening, and then. Then when I started doing recording sessions and the bongos players arrived, it was like, oh, no, this, this, <laughs> this, this is, is much better. This is the opening. Just out of curiosity before we go, is bum, bum, is it a, from the octave down to a sharp four? Was it a tritone? Uh, <laughs> a devil's octave? Uh, a yeah, devil's yes, interval? Yes. Gosh, that is the devil. <laughs> it, it sounded that way. That's a good villain. Scene. A little callback to episode. Oh, wow. What was that? John Powell episode? I can't remember. Two or three. (laughs) Uh, We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk with Lauren about his work on Dunkirk with Hans Zimmer right down the hall. And uh, also, The Crown. We'll we'll save that uh, for the end. And I also learned something um, that uh, director Christopher McQuarrie tweeted out, I think, 
in the last couple of days that's interesting about uh, when Mission Impossible comes out on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a quick break first, and when we come back, we'll get to that. Be right back. Hey, guys, it's Kenny. We're back to the show in 20 seconds, but we wanted to quickly say thanks to all of you who've supported Season 1 of Score the Podcast. One of the most important things you can do is click subscribe on your podcast app. It's free, it takes just a second, and it makes a huge difference in our growth. Thanks for your continued support. We're excited to bring you more great episodes in the future. Now back to the show. Welcome back. We're here with Grammy Award-winning composer Lauren Balf, and we were just talking about Mission Impossible Fallout and the huge success of it, and I saw that... Quite a cliffhanger there, Kenny. I know. What's the news? I've been wondering what it is. <laughs> uh, Chris McCorie tweeted out that, um, th- and this is rare, it doesn't happen all the time, but on the Blu-ray, he said that you're going to have an isolated score, track, and commentary yes. when the film comes out. How, how did I, that... Was that your cool. idea? How did... I, I apologize. You've got to listen <laughs> to me for two hours talking. Um, no, it's Chris's idea. Chris Chris has, be, has been a real um, um, advocate, I think, of the soundtrack. And he That's really, called a score geek. Uh, <laughs> and he, he, right from the beginning, uh, when we were recording, I think, he, he, he kept saying, we've we got to do it. You know, it, just talk about the process. And, and it's, it was very interesting. It was like therapy, really. It went into a very dark room. And watch the movie and just and with a microphone, yeah, and uh, I'm by myself, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but it was just it was just interesting um, talking about how we got to that decision, how we made that cue, um, and also because there was a lot of experiments going on. You know, I'd write a piece of music, and and Chris and Eddie would take it and put it in different scenes, <laughs> and then you know you, you hear get a text pop in so you'd come in and watch it and it's like gosh amazing i never what never it wasn't meant for that scene (laughs) but it was um so the commentary uh yeah and then also what we have done as a special bonus um oh actually no i won't say what we did oh oh, breaking news come on no (laughs) No, there's there's a there's um (laughs) there's a we're here live with lauren balf i've dissected a scene Oh, nice! Oh. Um, uh, to to show how things are layered. Oh, that's when fabulous! Mixing it. Can't so wait. The, um, and this is a a video. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. A, it's like an a... actual it's an actual scene. Um, it's the rooftop chase, mm-hmm. um, and how we recorded it. Because, firstly, you know, there's the the old school of recording everybody in the room. It's just getting harder and harder these days. A, um, we couldn't fit everybody in because mm-hmm. we had about three hundred musicians, but B. Um, it, you just do not have control um, when mixing and editing. If your picture's constantly changing, um, you want to have full control. So every single instrument was recorded as its own stem. So the brass, wow. the separate strings, which is more, more and more common now. Of course. Um, it's, it's. I think now all you can hope for is that everyone is on the same continent and in a reasonably similar time zone. Yeah, and key. And key. <laughs> the, the key, the key, the key, key, key yeah, helps. Key, that helps. But but we so so 
it's 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 um yeah so you get to see how how it works and how we kind I of I can't wait for that that's it's, great it's, and it's a great and it's is a it great at the scene. very end you just take a piece or during the movie do you stop and no, show no, that it'll scene? be it'll be a it'll be a, a separate um a separate piece. Well, that'll be <laughs> it's on the main feet. You hit play, and right in the middle, Lauren's like, "Quick intermission." Yeah. Hi, I'm, I'm Hi, Lauren. There's Tom Cruise, <laughs> frozen. <laughs> but the co- the commentary, but also the commentary thing is, it, it, I think it's it, it's interesting because I don't think yeah you don't um you, you kind of I th- I hope it's interesting um but at least you kind of just get to see how it's done yep um because I think sometimes there's a kind of a a romantic image. Of the composer standing there, it's it's, it's not like that yeah. it's, any longer. It's not romantic, is uh, how we're going to reveal that. Yeah, and also, <laughs> but then, but then, I just unfortunately, I just start yapping nonsense about things, and you know, I've stayed in that hotel before we got married. You know, just so. um, lovely. All right, <laughs> <laughs> keep them coming. Back to your regularly scheduled programming. Yeah, um, you mentioned when we were talking about the bongos. Yeah. Um, you said we brought in drummers, yes, not bongo players, yeah. but drummers, yes. Attitude. Y- you're a drummer. Am I? Oof. Yes. <laughs> as a kid, can you talk about uh, growing up, or w- where did you get? You, your did start you start out music? as a drummer? Um, uh, do you consider you, you started know, out? As weirdly a drummer? enough, I asked my. Uh, I was talking to my mother about this a couple of weeks ago, um, and apparently, I started piano lessons at three. Nice. Mm. Wow. And I finished at three and a quarter. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and then I didn't have a lesson until, I don't know, six, 15, probably. Or something. Right. Um, but um, the reason I got drummers to play the bongos was for because their attitude. Oh, wow. It's just, it, they're, they're just a, it's a different um, attitude and, and way they played it. And I think that... Um, That's really interesting. I, well, I, I, th- I thought, uh, you know, I'm, I was a drummer... Um, and then when I played percussion, um, I, I kind of, I, I always felt I was, I just, I had a slightly different feel, um, sometimes out of time, but, but there was a different feel to it. Um, and, and now I, I try to do that quite a lot. I, I love percussion. You know, any, mm. every time I write something, I normally start around a, a groove or mm-hmm. a pattern. Some rhythm, um, yeah. Try to, try to. I wonder um, if that comes from the fact. I mean, we of course know that your your dad was a great record producer. Right? Well, he, well, he was a, a songwriter in the sixties, right? And um, so I was I was brought up with music, and he also had a a residential recording studio in Liverpool. Uh, no, up in Inverness. Ah. And um, um, yeah, so from a very young age, I was surrounded by... So bands came into yeah, your Ozzy, house? Ozzy Osbourne and um, just a lot of bands. Echo? In the, uh, yeah, Echo and the Bunnymen and uh, the Waterboys and mm. oh, just, I, just a long list. So th- they weren't in the house. They were in a, a separate bu- a building where the studio was, but they, they'd, they'd come up for dinners. Did you hang things. out in there a lot? Um, yeah, a lot. A lot of my, you know, memories of kind of... Yeah, sitting in the studio and and just thinking it was a normal job. Yeah, seeing people waking up at one o'clock in the afternoon, and um, and just and and making music. It just seemed a kind of a a very normal. That's what adults do, of course. I know. <laughs> it would seem that then your career path would take you towards being a rock star. Was that a consideration? How did composer? I, I don't. Come I, in? I think. I think the type of school that I went to didn't produce rock stars. I see. They produced 
Tony Blair's and prime ministers. Yeah, I don't think, understood. <laughs> I don't think about rock stars, but um, but I think um, no, I, I I had no clue. I, I I what I wanted to do. I just I lo- I loved music, and I knew that I loved um, just creating things. Weirdly, when I was at school, I think it was like sixteen, and we had to do a school project, and I had said I was going to do some. Uh, I liked music and movies, and they were mm. like, "What's that?" I don't think a film composer was really known then. Right. Um, and I wrote. Um, so part of my dissertation, I had to write. Uh, contact three people in the profession and I wrote to Andrew Lloyd Webber Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber um, Hans and Stuart Copeland fantastic Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote back saying I am too busy Um, I don't have time for this um, Hans replied would you co-compose the Caribbean <laughs> uh, Pirates of the Caribbean with me um, and he he replied like about 10 pages Stuart Copeland replied with a 30 page uh, analysis over my bad grammar <laughs> and uh, and just and I don't think he answered any of my questions he just pointed out how bad my <laughs> punctuation was um, I should be uh, I should be ashamed especially the school I went to <laughs> Um, so but um but yeah i I, you know i i i started doing like short films maybe when i was like 16 17 and and commercials a lot of commercials so i just look i think it's very hard for anybody in the arts um because it's just not a normal job and i was so thankful i had parents that gave no pressure that's lovely have you you talked to hans about that him writing back i mean he's in your building now here um well, how so did you generous. guys reconnect he's so generous responding to yeah, people I, I, that write I, him. you know i was ha- i was an assistant for hands for about 14 years i assisted him for 15 years um and i'm sure i brought it up once i don't <laughs> speaking of the school that you went to i think it's I can't even tell you how much I'm loving The Crown. Mm. I just love the series. I Let's love- hold that because I want to save that for the last our last question after we play our game. Oh boy! Oh, that's gonna, The Crown will be. Yeah, so we'll do, do that we, last. Do we edit that part out? Nope. <laughs> um, thank you so much. We're going to be right back after we play. Well, our wait, game. wait. Before no, we do that, no. working with Hans, I had a question about Dunkirk because yeah. that was a, an extremely cutting edge. Like a lot of stuff Hans works on, mm. obviously. You were the score producer, I believe, of of, of that. Um, what did that entail? <laughs> Besides that, the shepherd's that, tone, which we've all now learned about. I know. I, everybody uses that term. <laughs> so maybe we should put a shepherd's tone in this queue. It's it. um, well, I so first time I worked for Hans was Batman Begins. Hmm. And um, I had worked for other composers. Um, and I, 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 he knew of me as, as you know, as an assistant, and he was working. It was Batman Begins, mm-hmm. and he said, um, "Can you use Cubase, which is the program that I write on?" And um, I said yes, um, and I was lying. I'd never seen the. I, I didn't know how it worked, <laughs> um, and um, that seems to be the the, the right approach, <laughs> right? Uh, well, anyone's asked a question, can you do this? Yes, I can. And then you go home and read the manual before yeah. anyone figures it <laughs> out. First you go home and weep with yeah. fear. My, God, my godfather was an actor, and he, and he always said, if somebody says, can you speak French? You go, yes, and then get a book. Um, <laughs> so, I, um, so I started doing, um, so I quickly learned 
how to work the software, and then I started working for him. So I'd worked on all of uh, all the Batman's Inception. I think the only one I didn't work on was Interstellar. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew Chris, and and um, basically I got brought in um, just that to, because we, we all knew each other, mm-hmm. um, and um, you know I, I think firstly it's I think it's Hans's best school. Um, I think that it was just the way it was used. Uh, the way you didn't know it was music, I, I think was just I loved amazing. It. Yeah, um, loved it. I'm so happy that Alex Gibson, the music editor, won an Oscar. I think I yeah. think music editors get forgotten about, mm-hmm. um, and they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. And, and Alex is a great one. Yeah, and he and him winning for that was justified because mm-hmm. it was um, it it was part of, he, that music was like an actor. Yeah, You're right. You know, it was just the fabric of the film is yeah. so tied to it. You uh, worked on it for a long time, right? Um, I I only got brought in maybe that. Well, yeah, gosh, I, my concept of time now since becoming a father is far different. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, like two months, three, oh, months, okay. three months, two or three months. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yes, it was just really like anything with hands. I I kind of I I know that I I would do a lot with him, but I feel that it was all done. You know, <laughs> he really, he really um, creates this most memorable music, mm-hmm. and something that I, I think, uh, why I was good with hands was because I was a, a good arranger, mm-hmm. and I could, I saw things in that piece that you could take and make it like this or make it like that, and so that that's what that's what I did. Mm-hmm. Really, there are very few films that I would go to the very first screening of that Friday afternoon and Dunkirk was one. I yeah. remember being very excited to go at maybe twelve thirty on a Friday to well, see it. Well that's the great thing yeah. about hear it. Chris yeah. and, and Hans both um is they've they've been able to kind of bring back some of that really great cinematic stuff. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, yes. And I think also it's the fact that um everything about it the fact the sound effects were working in the same tempo as the music it was just a, a, an experience and I remember the first time seeing it and I, I think it was like the most, to me, it was the most emotional film I'd ever watched. It was, the, it was easily the most stressful I've ever been in, oh, yeah. in a theater. <laughs> yeah. Like the whole time, I, when we got out of there, I was like, was that, was I supposed to like enjoy myself during that? <laughs> I mean, it was good. It was a great film, but I, I felt real like, I, I was like, I need to go to bed. I'm tired. Yeah. Mm. That was, it's that quite was a tension build. Yeah. Most yeah. of the movie. Yeah. But I think, but I, it's just the fact, I think also being British and just yeah. seeing what hell these people went went through not that it's, long ago either no, no yeah and 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 how just the the pointlessness of war and mm-hmm. and just the tragedy of of the, and when they're in the ship and there's oh it's just oh, right. a, just regular people uh, yeah <laughs> yeah and 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 it just it was it just all of a sudden made it real humanizes you know, you, it yeah you, you can read about it and um but you were in it Photography is also incredible. The flight scenarios and the Tom Hardy up in the air stuff. Yeah, just and and also I think it's it was like Inception. I remember when Inception people talked about movies. You're right. You know, it's kind of it's rare where you know people at dinner parties will talk about movies. Look, we're still I don't know how many two years later, three years later, Dunkirk still compelling. Yeah, and I and I think that 
people were talking about it and with Inception people were talking about it and, and also I'm not trying to connect things here but Mission Fallout people were talking about yeah. it Yep. and it's kind of we've had so much CGI superhero movies where there's just been nothing to kind of hold on to yeah um, buildings and robots and yeah <laughs> capes yeah right computer screens yeah yeah, and and it's and it's all of a sudden we've got some uh, we've got a, a real hero. Yeah. Yep. All right, guys. I think uh, I think it's time. Is it? What <laughs> are we going to do? It's the game that's sweeping the nation. People, there's haters and lovers. They tweet at us. They hashtag name that score. It's time to play the they game. They hashtag what? <laughs> name, name that, that score. score. Are you ready? <laughs> Get ready to play Name That Score! The film music game where a perfect score means you, yes you, could be a winner! Now let's play Name That Score! Alright, alright. So, uh, Lauren, I don't think... Uh, let me just review real quick the uh, the answers here. Nobody knows the answers to this. Be, be gentle. No, none of your music is on here. Okay, be gentle because I, I don't I don't I I try I I tend to not listen to film music. Sure. So you you, you <laughs> so, talked about you talked about haters. If if we get something wrong, we hear about it. Well, okay. So let's let's <laughs> review way, the rules real quickly. I'm horrible. And I'm, I just am looking Robert's at some scores in last here. Place. I'm, I'm we're going to review place. that uh, in just a second. Um, because this is our season finale episode, we get to crown a champion for the season. Oh, so, uh, the crown. And, and you guys, Kenny and Robert, will almost certainly both lose to our composer guests who have a better Sucks. ear than them. That's but it's horrible. close. But it's close. Okay, so, uh, Lauren, here's how it works. We play five famous film scores, but in reverse. Robert, Kenny, um, and Lauren uh, today will pick from three multiple-choice answers. The last question's worth double. If anybody gets all five right, we give away a prize on our Twitter account, at ScoreThePodcast. Just mention hashtag name that score. And guess what? We're giving away a prize anyway. Because it's the season finale. Because it's the season finale. Congratulations um, to all the listeners. That's actually already. what this Dinner is that we, Tom we aggressively put in front of Lauren. It's a uh, signed a soundtrack. Hopefully oh, signed right. soundtrack of uh, his score to Jesus. A signed pen. <laughs> um, and uh, today's theme is spy and secret agents. Wait a minute. Can we get a live signing right now? Oh, can we? He's signing it. Why, why do I sign? Why do I, I get you a Mission Impossible album. Really? Yeah. A co- breaking news? <laughs> quick, quick. Oh, uh, 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 oh, uh, oh. Moments. There it is. There it is. There we it is. just got a second prize. <laughs> oh, listen, I can give uh, you prizes. My goodness, I've got, I've got. He's this. giving away an Apple iMac. This is his <laughs> studio slash uh, radio station swag. Yeah. Yeah, we're gonna closet. be doing giveaways for all the equipment in here and uh, <laughs> over the next. Okay, Cubase. so um, <laughs> coffee table. Let's jump into this stuff. We have uh, five questions and a tiebreaker, also if we need it. Um, and uh, we will start with question one. Everybody, hold your answers, Lauren. Just so you know, these guys like to mooch off of the answers of uh, our guests. So the strategy of uh, of John Powell was give a fake answer and then change it. <laughs> uh, and uh, that seemed to work pretty well, but uh, but we'll make them go first, and you can go last. Um, so question one, is this music from Dr. No, uh, Monty Norman, and John Barry, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, Alberto Iglesias, uh, or Bridge of Spies, Thomas Newman? 
And remember, it's in reverse. Oh, really? I was going to say that's. I know everyone. Beautiful orchestration. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> what was the second? What was, what was the second? Uh, it's Doctor No, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Yeah, that's the 2011 version. Okay. And because uh, I think there was an original that I yes. I haven't seen. And Bridge of Spies, 2015, okay. Thomas Newman. So Kenny and Robert go first, and actually because the scores are. Uh, Robert's currently in last place. He's got 84 correct answers this season. Come from Kenny behind. has 86. So he's two ahead. Coasting. So Robert, is that a prize? You need a perfect score here, Robert, to pull this off. But uh, why, Robert, why don't you go first? Boom, doom, 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 boom. Robert Kraft is here to say, Dr. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, Kenny? Monty and John? Yeah. Yeah. Kenny also. Lauren, is that your answer? The, the Dr. No. Yeah, that's about as famous as it gets for spy scores. All right, so points for everybody. On to question two. Is this music from another James Bond movie, Goldeneye, Eric Serra, uh, North by Northwest, Bernard Herrmann, or Spy Game 2001, Harry Gregson Williams? Lauren thinks he has it. Robert thinks he has it. It's not even in reverse. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you want to go first? Isn't that in reverse? It's Bernard Herrmann. It is. North by Northwest. North by Northwest. Kenny, did you know that? I did. did. It is even in reverse. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so points for everybody on that one. Everyone's two for two, which means Robert's running out of time. Oh, shoot. You guys have to miss a couple. Yeah, we, we need a little help here. Uh, question three. Should I stage this to really build up the drama? <laughs> I think you'll miss a couple of these. Can you score the ending of this? Lauren? Yeah. <laughs> I've got the yeah. intensity. Yeah. Bongo <laughs> drums, more than 13. Yeah, bongo maybe drums. I need a 13th one. Uh, question three Clear and Present Danger. That's James, James Horner, Horner, 1984. The Born Identity, John Powell. And Zero Dark Thirty, Alexander Display. Lauren knows. Yep. Go ahead. No, 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 no. <laughs> John Powell. <laughs> What were the fir- first one? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Clear and present danger? Clear and present danger. Microphone. James what? Horner. This is a radio show. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. I was just... We're getting relaxed. I was here. yelling in the back. Uh, Horner is clear and present danger right. and Alexander Desplat, Zero Dark Thirty. And the middle one was Born. Born so identity. It, I, don't, I don't believe it's Born. Everyone's trying to... Fish. <laughs> well, you, you, there's a strategy you might have to employ here yeah. if you want to win. Also, Sandbag a little is, bit. Um, gonna I'm going to say uh, clear, and present, clear and present. I'm saying Horner. John Powell. John Powell. There's one winner. Oh. There's two winners. Oh, oh. No. <laughs> Robert. <laughs> I was listening for that kind of. This? Yes. Yeah. It was there. Here it is in reverse again. <laughs> it's weird how it, it hides when yeah. it's backwards. Like if you don't know it, it's a little bit. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I just gave away our tiebreaker, but I think I cut it off in time with I'm Robert's really Robert's, uh, Robert's conclusion. Am I allowed to sulk during the last question? That's one of my favorite cues. <laughs> And it hey, sounded different. I, since, since we're reflecting on, on the season one, you did miss 
Little Mermaid, which like you worked on. <laughs> I produced <So>. it. <laughs> okay, good. Well, then I feel better somehow. That was the all-time worst yeah. yes. guess, I think. <laughs> yes. It was just- I, That was a highlight for I, sure. Actually, it's time for me or to admit light. and admit to the fans, I want these guys to win. So oh, I, I know these thank answers. You. Thank you. Thank Question you. four. Um, so Kenny and Lauren, both perfect so far. Is this music from Mission Impossible 1996? Danny Elfman. True Lies 1994. Brad Fidel. Yeah. Fidel. Fidel. Or Argo 2012. Hmm. Alexander Desplat. What was the second one, sorry? What is Lauren Balfin College thinking of that cue? <laughs> Mission Impossible, True Lies, and Argo. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with Argo. <laughs> yeah, same here, Desplat. It sounded Desplat-ish. Robert, what do you want to do? i Argo. I don't know why it just feels <laughs> Argo-esque. <laughs> All right. It's a cool-sounding little jam. Yeah. Um, this All was right. such a good movie. I need to rewatch that. Great. I forget there was some. I remember there was some drama at the Oscars. It didn't win best picture, but it won best director. It was one of those things. Yeah, I forget what it yeah. was. Wasn't John Goodman in that movie? He sure was. Yeah. John Goodman and Alan Arkin played two producers in Hollywood, and the phone is ringing in their office, and they can't cross the scene that's being shot. And that phone call is the one that the Iranian. Is calling. Do, do you know, Robert loves this movie. <laughs> oh, I you know. He's, Never mind. I don't need to watch calling, it. Now. He's calling to see if they're legit. If the filmmakers are legit. Oh, that's right. And they can't get across the scene that's being shot. The guy says, "You have to wait. You have to wait." What else do you want to know All about right. Argo? What happens uh, at the end? We didn't know you were such an expert in Argo. Yeah. All right. So, uh, question five. Um, Kenny and Lauren still tied. Robert's one behind. This question's worth double. So Robert could still pull a victory for the day if he gets two losses. Question five. Is this music from Skyfall? Thomas Newman. Who I saw that yesterday. No did fair. you really? I did. Because he knew this was a question wow. coming up. Go ahead. <laughs> Skyfall. Look at Robert bringing out the, the rigged. He not only saw Skyfall, he played the entire movie in reverse. <laughs> Go ahead. Skyfall. Kingsman, The Secret Service. That's Henry Jackman and uh, Matthew Margeson. Um, and Body of Lies, Mark Streitenfeld. Oh. <laughs> Robert's raising his hand. <laughs> and he's looking at me like he's full of... There's a sky full. <laughs> All right. Robert says Skyfall. Kenny? I hope Adele's not listening. <laughs> Bill learned how <laughs> She's to... not anymore. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with Skyfall just because I watched it yesterday. Okay. Oh, oh that's a great, I, great I, reason. I, 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 Do you beg to differ? Yeah, I think I'm going to go for Kingsman only because I can't... I hate that, that I, Lauren's going to be right and I'm going to well, lose. I didn't... He, he, oh. Lawrence, you're going to go Kingsman? Yeah. Skyfall, Kingsman, and Body of Lies? Skyfall. There's a winner. Did you pick Body of Lies? <laughs> and two, two losers. I picked Skyfall. The uh, the answer two, two Skyfalls. Oh, I won. Yes, all right. <laughs> Lauren won. We're arguing over uh, who lost. <laughs> over <laughs> the losers' choices. There we go. There we go. 
So once once again, the composer pulls pulls out the victory wanted, at the end of this stuff. I wanted to win uh, that those pair of IMAX. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lauren wins. We have a tiebreaker that. I've gone to the the trouble of preparing for well, us to do this, and it's our last episode. It's, yeah, so we should do it. We're going to have to do two. it. Let's do it. Um, you muted me. There you are. You 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 were there. I just. What is this? Around the horn? You're I'm just going <laughs> to cut the, my mic. <laughs> the tiebreaker is worth Question fifty. Six. <laughs> All right. So if, if we can't change the if rules. If Lauren at this misses point. it, and I get it, I still have a shot here. No, 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 no. Um, so is this music from 1962's The Manchurian Candidate? 1964's From Russia with Love or 1999's Austin Powers International oh, Man. Can we get of the mystery. composer's names? Who scored Manchurian Candidate? Uh David Amron. Amram, yep. And John Barry from Russia with Love. Yep. And George S. Clinton for Austin Powers. Does Lauren think he has it? Well, it, it's... Don't I, give it away yet if you did. Well, yeah, Please give it away. No, it, it would be a very interesting musicologist case, that. <laughs> I feel like... I'm the, with you. The quality doesn't fit 1999. It sounds older. I'm going to say it's George S. Clinton from Austin Powers <laughs> taking a page out of <laughs> From Russia with, with Love. Austin Powers. I'm yeah. going with John Barry. Yeah, I'm going with John Barry. Thank you so much. Robert's looking at the 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 switchboard here to see which. This is forward. Can anyone tell what this is? Still sounds like James Bond. Sure does. Well, we have a uh, we have a victory story at the very end of all this stuff. Robert Kraft. That's from Austin Powers. It's a wow. it's kind of a parody of John oh, Barry. Because man. you also <laughs> identified. You said we'd have a little bit of a. Only because I go through that regularly. <laughs> right. Because it sounded uh, sort of like, if I may be so bold and I love George Clinton and know him, but it sort of sounds like John Barry yeah. left. Five pounds sideways. of cheese. Yeah, sideways. <laughs> Did that sounds mean, like five I, pounds of cheese. Am, am I a winner? There was it? John Powell right there. Sounds like five pounds of cheese. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he thought of our theme. Uh so uh, that means our big winner for this game is Lorne Balf. So what do I win then? Uh, I win my own IMAX. You, yes, won, you, do. I won my you get to keep all your gear. <laughs> you, you may have another composing gig now. Yes. Uh, but uh, Robert won that, uh, that last question. A That's little triumph at the end. really kind of gives Make me hope for next season. Yeah. And uh, so our, our final tally is our, our guest... Uh, stomped you and uh, Kenny, you and Robert both pretty uh, badly this season. So our composers really know their stuff, so, even other people's stuff. So who was the who? Which composer got the worst score? Ooh, Harry Gregson Williams, wasn't it? Didn't we do the numbers? Yeah, I think he got three out of six. Those were superhero that. scores we did with him, and he was like, "Oh God, I have no idea." <laughs> <laughs> what accent was that? That was a, an attempted uh, Harry Gregson Williams. <laughs> By the way, Lorne not only won the game, but I think he wins coolest accent. Yeah, for, man, for season one. As uh, let's see, we got Haytor. Yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, I wanted to ask uh, one question, Lorne. I kind of teased this a little bit earlier, but. 
Um, the, and this fits into the accent conversation, I guess, somewhat. We talked with a few composers that talked to us about uh, Canadians, especially Michael Dana, uh, Christoph Beck, that both talked about sort of a musical dialect that mm-hmm. they, they feel like Canadian composers at least have. Mm-hmm. I've heard the same argument made for uh, you know, writing styles of, mm-hmm. of, of you know, people that grew up in the UK um, and have kind of a different musical tradition. Do you, have you picked up on, on anything that's different between kind of what an American composer tends to lean toward or start with or prioritize versus uh, someone I, with a... I a, think so. I, I've always been aware of it. I think that it's, I think it's something to do with um, a lot of the church music hmm. in, 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 in Britain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot, a lot of our, all of us kind of seem to have had the same training. Mm. Um, I I definitely, I, I don't know what it is. You know, I'm, I'm not very, I'm not very academic with my, I think you're both those things are pretty spot on though. There, there has to be something and, and the kind of the, um, the way we, you know, naturally absorb it during morning. I think um, the best way of almost confirming what you just said is that it's easy to say the opposite here which is that every american composer seems to come from such different diverse stories and concepts and backgrounds mm. where you, what you describe may be more consistent for yeah it it, it is interesting because i i've i've always i feel that i've been able to kind of guess where somebody's from <laughs> when hearing it there's kind of there's a I I, I don't know there's, there seems to be a, a kind of um, a European approach mm-hmm. and people I mean whenever I play someone says New Jersey <laughs> right on the money is that true are you serious no oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> for a second I was like what yeah uh, which part of New Jersey are you from because I feel a little can you pinpoint what what it is that you pick up on in the sound I I, I, I wish I knew mm. um, I think this is the counterpoint. I think a lot. I think um, the. I think there's a very kind of um, evangelical hmm. um, hymn-like chord progression that goes on. That is just kind of rooted in us. Can you? We, there's one other trivia question I want to ask you. Can you tell me where the person that wrote this is probably from? Can you name that? Score first. <laughs> Overboard. <laughs> oh. It's a theme song for a, an old show. It's called Who's the Boss? Oh. Never watched it. Oh! New Jersey. Why did you say the word overboard? Um, because it just the, the calypso feel at the beginning. Yeah, so funny. I because went, that's the name. That's just the name of my publishing company is Overboard. So when you said. Overboard. Oh, that's why you lit up. I thought, <laughs> does Lauren like track the publishing of TV theme songs for the last 40 <laughs> years? Overboard? I think it was Overboard 84, wasn't it? <laughs> amazing. And these yeah, guys. That's my pointless skill in life. I was yeah. publishing companies. Well, Fabulous. Lauren, we've, we've been wanting to get you on the show. And yeah. I know you've been, spent a lot of time in Europe and you're heading back. Yep. Heading, heading back to um, like right about now. <laughs> Oh, yeah, probably in about. I think, I think yeah. in three hours' time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Incredible! Yeah. How great! It's um, yeah, but it's been fantastic being on the and show. Actually, what Thank a you. brilliant closer for our first season yeah. is this episode. So, well, and also, I, I, I'd like to thank you all for doing this type of show. 
Oh, because nice. I, th- I think that a lot of um, that you know people that like film music they firstly don't get out much. Yeah. Um, but it, <laughs> but it is ni- but it is nice for I think people to kind of be able to to get a connection. Yes. You know, and learn from the greats, and not just the little hater tweets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hear the real stories good here on band. Score that is a good podcast. name the hater tweets. hater tweets well um i know that me personally this whole first season has been a blast and uh we want to thank our listeners for listening and subscribing and taking this journey with us to to you know launch this new podcast yeah i i actually feel the same in fact if i get a little weepy you- <laughs> I've really loved working with you guys. So Lauren, we're, we're glad to have you as the season finale episode. Yeah. Good luck with everything and uh, continued success with Mission Impossible. Score the podcast, Matt Schrader or Mash Raider. Thank you, Kenny. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you. We can't wait to see all of you next season for another round of great episodes. Score the podcast. <laughs>